If you will, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter 1, 1 through 1-9 with me. And as you do this, let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself in that recurring cycle of life where you seem to experience the same things over and over and over again? I, mean, I think it's safe to say that we all have at, at some point or another. Uh, things in this life just tend to become routine. And I don't necessarily enjoy that. Some people love routine. Um, some people find a lot of comfort in routine. I, I don't. I don't like routine uh, a whole lot. But I think it's safe to say that we all experience it. We experience it at work, and we experience it at home. I know my wife, uh, Elaine, tells me sometimes she feels like she does the same thing over and over again with our small children, day in and day out. And I know that some of you go to work, and you do the same thing day in and day out. Um, And with each part of life that you experience, problems exist. Uh, During my days in the office, and before I tell you about my days in the office, I'm going to get a mic stand. All right, thanks, Dale. Is that going to work? That's going to work. All right. Can you just, you guys still here? Okay, good. All right, during my days in the office, um, part of my daily routine is to sometimes look at Facebook.com, and that's just one of those uh, Internet sites that the kids communicate with. And the one thing that I see them communicate a lot is their problems and their frustrations What's wrong with their lives? You know, they're stressed out. They just ended a relationship. You name it, they're going through it. And this is part of their daily routine. And part of my daily routine is to to see this, uh, these problems in their daily routines. And another thing that I do every Sunday morning with the rest of the staff is I meet with them in the Betty Ann room to pray for the teaching that's going to go on in the church on Sunday morning, but more so um, the prayer request of the church. Part of every Sunday is to see the pain that many of you guys are going through. Uh, I brought a list, actually, uh, from a a previous Sunday uh, of some of the pain that you guys are are dealing with and and some people the church are dealing with. I'm not going to mention any names. I know that would break confidentiality. Uh, But some of the problems that exist are amazing. Uh, Vasculitis of the brain. I don't even know what that is, but I know it's got to be severe. Hepatitis C. There's a couple of cases of hepatitis A. Lung cancer. Uh, thyroid surgery, concern for a family member's salvation. A couple of our families at Grace Event, their houses have burned down, and a family member might have passed away. And, and someone is going through chemotherapy right now. And those things are real. That's real stuff. But I'd be willing to bet that these aren't the only people that are, are dealing with these things um, at the church. I, I would be willing to bet that if I were to pass around a sheet of paper tonight, that each of us could put down something that we're dealing with, and it's part of our daily routine. My encouragement for you guys is this. Take heart because your temporary suffering that you're going through is for a redemptive purpose. The temporary suffering that you're going through is for a redemptive purpose. Peter addressed this in 1 Peter uh, 1, 1 through 9. So look with me if you have your text um, tonight. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me pray for us tonight. Father, we, we want to thank you for the privilege that you've given us to come on a Wednesday night, a, a, week right, a day right in the middle of our week, uh, to come and forget about our troubles and, and focus on the great truth that you offer through Scripture. Please don't allow us to take this time for granted. Let us focus on your word and may it apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, tonight we're obviously talking about suffering. And the recipients that Peter was writing to knew something about this subject. First off, the recipients were believers. We know this right off the bat when he refers to them as elect. But not only were they part of the elect, these elect individuals were being dispersed to many different towns. And the reason was because of the suffering that Christians were experiencing under the rule of Nero. You see this, this book that Peter writes, it was written around 62, 64 A.D. And during that time was some of the worst persecution and sufferings that the Christian church has ever experienced. These Christians were having to leave their homeland, their jobs, their security, and run for their lives because people around them were being imprisoned and executed. And the interesting part about this is that Peter, he didn't write a letter giving them guidance on, on where to go and hide. Uh, he didn't advise them on how to fight back. You know, he didn't say, I know where you guys are going, and I know a guy over there, and he's got a good job that you can have. He, he didn't tell them any of this. Instead, Peter writes a letter to Christians who experience suffering. Christians who experience suffering. Does that sound familiar to any of you in here? Christians who experience suffering, and he begins that letter with the amazing news of the gospel. He says things like, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's some good news. That's amazing news. That, that's, that's the best news that one can get, talking about the salvation of our souls, the undefiled inheritance of heaven. That's some great news. But Peter, being a, a good pastor, doesn't stop here. He doesn't skirt the issue of, of the real stuff that's going on in their life. Guys, these Christians are suffering. They're suffering greatly. How can this be? You know, you might have asked this question. You know, how can this be? As a Christian, how can we suffer? I mean, uh, when we signed up for this Christianity thing, didn't it mean that we're, we're free of pain? We're free of suffering? Doesn't everything just get better when we become Christian? Guys, Peter understands the real issues going on in their lives, and he gives them the best news possible, which is the gospel. But on the heels of that news, he tags it with this. In this you rejoice, speaking of salvation, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You will hear, hear these verses, these two verses, several more times tonight. I kind of want them to get in your head. Um, it almost appears, ladies and gentlemen, as though trials and suffering go hand in hand with the gospel. It's a weird concept, isn't it? But it almost appears as trials and suffering goes hand in hand with the gospel. And if you saw that when it was read, then I believe you're absolutely right. Brothers and sisters, for the Christian, there is something unique about suffering. And despite what some might preach to you, it cannot be considered a bad thing. I know that's a hard concept to get your mind around because it's so painful and hurtful at the time. But when viewed correctly, suffering cannot be considered evil or bad. Let me try to develop that argument tonight by taking you through some thoughts about suffering. And the, and the first one I want to mention is this. Suffering is inevitable. For the Christian, for anybody, suffering will happen. You will experience it. When I was given this topic to preach, and if you didn't know, the staff, is kind of, we're kind of going through a book this summer and, and teaching through it on Wednesday nights, and Jeff Sample gives us certain topics to preach on, and mine happened to be suffering. When I was given this topic to teach, I was a bit apprehensive because I don't see myself as someone who has experienced a great deal of suffering in life, especially when I look at prayer requests like I see on Sunday mornings. You know, my... My children, are, my children are healthy. And I know that for some of you, your children might not be. Uh, I have a great marriage. And I know for some of you, your marriage might not be great. Uh, I, I found out um, that one of my seminary professors up in St. Louis, his wife had an affair with the church drummer. It just destroyed him. My, my marriage is great. I have a job and a family. I have a job and a home. I'm a redeemed man. In comparison to some, I haven't gone through a ton. And some of you look at your life and you compare it with others and you think the same thing. Most of us can find others, globally at least, in this world who are suffering more than us. I think that's a true statement, right? I mean, you look around and I think most of us can say, okay, somebody else probably has a little worse off than we have it. But that doesn't mean we haven't felt our share of trials that have adversely affected us, that doesn't mean that we haven't gone through it. We've all dealt with something or things. As believers, that's what we're told that's going to happen to us. James, in the book of James, he writes, when you face trials of various kinds, not if, but when, when you face trials, people in general, we're going to suffer. We're going to face those trials. And people in our context, here in this audience, in Germantown, Carville, Cordova, the Memphis area, at this church, I know that sometimes loneliness has set in. For, for some of you, you go to work and work is miserable. Uh, your kids, for some of you, they don't respect you and, and they might even say they hate you. Uh, your spouse is distant. Uh, you've gone through a terrible divorce. Um, you found yourself so depressed you can't even count the pills anymore. They're too numerous. There's health issues of all type. Maybe you've experienced death of a loved one. You name it, it's there. And these things and things like them will inevitably be there throughout our time on earth. It's part of the routine, is it not? 
is part of that routine that we go through day in and day out. And the reason for this pain caused by suffering, without getting into the whole doctrine of it, is the fall, is, is sin. And that's not the way it was supposed to be. That's not the way that it was supposed to be in the original design. And it's, I'm not trying to be a Dr. Phil here or anything, but it's okay not to like the hurt that's caused by suffering. It's okay not to like it at all. Listen to the story found in John 11. It's familiar enough where I'm not going to read John 11. Um, it's the story about Lazarus being raised from the dead, but that's really not the, the, the main focus that I want to deal with tonight. You see, Jesus heard that Lazarus had died, and he went to see the two sisters, Mary and Martha. And when he spoke with them and he saw the pain and suffering that they were going through because of this abnormal occurrence called death, it is abnormal. It's not the way it's supposed to be. That's where we see the, the, the short phrase, Jesus wept. Now, every kid knows that Bible verse because it's the shortest one in the Bible, and a lot of adults enjoy that Bible verse because it really shows the humanity of Christ. But let me take it a little bit further for you. In the story, John tells us, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Moving down a little bit, um, when Jesus was at the tomb, John writes, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. The English verses don't do the original language justice in this. Francis Schaeffer and many commentators um, write about the two emotions found in the original text in the Greek. And one emotion was tears, as we can obviously see. The other emotion was anger. And it wasn't just anger, it was furious. Jesus Christ was furious. He was mad. Christ was ticked off at the pain that this suffering has caused. Because even though it's inevitable, it's abnormal. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And because it's abnormal, it causes some real emotions and some real questions in a lot of our lives. There was a minister in the late 1800s who was a faithful preacher for the most of his life. He was a faithful preacher of the Word. And he probably preached on subjects like this a lot. His name was Joseph Parker. And in his autobiography, he says that up to the age of 68 years old, he never had a religious doubt. I'm 29, and he's a better man than me. Uh, he never had a religious doubt up to 68 years old, but then his wife died. And when his wife died... His faith collapsed. And in his autobiography, he writes this. In that dark hour, I became almost an atheist. For God had set his foot upon my prayers and treated my petitions with contempt. If I had seen a dog in such agony as mine, I would have pitied and helped the dumb beast. Yet God spat upon me and cast me out as an offense, out into the waste wilderness and the night black and starless. That seems to be some real emotion coming from a man who was suffering greatly. I bet that some of you have felt that way. And I would even be willing to bet that some of you might feel that way right now sitting in your seat tonight. And because of that, you have questions like, why me? Or the age-old question, how can a good God allow these bad things? You have those kind of questions. And if you've ever raised a question at all in your life, if you've ever raised that question, I want you to know that you're in good company. 
The man of sorrows himself, Jesus Christ, while hanging on the cross in complete agony, looks toward his own Father and he asks, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His suffering even caused him to ask for an explanation to the Father. The fact is, you might sit up at night asking the same thing. Why have you forsaken me? The answer is this. One, God hasn't forsaken you. But the answer is this. As Christians, we share, we all share in this inevitable suffering because we have been united with Him. Therefore, because we are Christians, this inevitable suffering must then be linked to our union with Christ. That's huge. Our inevitable suffering, that thing that hurts us so bad, must be linked to union with Christ. I promise, guys, I promise, by understanding this truth about being united with Christ, the problem of pain, as C.S. Lewis puts it, isn't so problematic anymore. Union with Christ is a subject that could be talked about for years and years and years and never get old. And it's unfortunately something that we kind of skip over as believers. We see it referenced in the, in the letters of Paul anytime we open the Bible. In those letters, the words in Christ or of Christ or something like that, they're found 164 times. It's a pretty important phrase for the Christian because it means that because we are in Christ, we are a child of God. And we are an heir of Christ, as Paul puts it in, in Romans. And we get to share in His glory. And, and it means that the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed upon us. We get to share in all of those things. And we like that. That's some glorious news. We love that. We love knowing that part about union with Christ. But we cannot cannot neglect the teaching that by being in union with Christ, we will also share in His suffering. It's what we're called to do. If you skip over a little to 1 Peter 2, 20-21, you'll see this. Peter says, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Might be a new slant on suffering. I don't know. Guys, there's a missionary who understood this very well. Uh, his name is probably familiar to a lot of you. Uh, is Hudson Taylor familiar to a lot of you in here? Uh, his mission was to bring the gospel to China. In fact, a lot of the good things that we hear from China, and I know is is the work of the Spirit, but... Uh, the Spirit has used His work in the mid-1800s to, to start a really good work in China that's still going on today. Anyway, Hudson Taylor suffered greatly. He suffered a, a huge amount. He lost four of eight children by the time they were 10 years old. Four of his eight children died by the time they were 10. His wife of 12 years died of cholera. Um, he, he was falsely accused by the British Parliament and slumped down into a, such a deep depression he almost committed suicide. He formed a terrible case of hepatitis. Um, he was almost killed in a riot. And he said this quote. Listen to this. This is, this is real. I hated myself. I hated my sin. And yet I gained no strength against it. I hated myself and I hated my sin, yet I gained no strength against it. The man was suffering 
But get this. The man was suffering, and it was at that time when he was suffering, when his eyes opened up to his union with Christ, and that's when everything in him changed. When his eyes opened up to this one point, everything about his ministry, everything about his life, everything about his whole mindset completely changed. From that point on, his main focus wasn't on his immediate pain or his immediate heartache. It was on the fact that through the resurrection and glorification, the Father, God, remained faithful to the Son. Therefore, just as we are unified with the Son through His death, we know that we will be just as unified with Him through His resurrection. And because of that unification, we can confidently say that even through our pains and even through our sufferings that all of you guys are going through right now to some degree, God remains faithful because we are united with Christ. If I was in a Baptist church, I'd be, amen, praise God. That's huge news. God remains faithful. Even when you're sitting there saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God remains faithful because we are united with His Son. He's up to something good. Therefore, men and women, we can now view suffering as something redemptive. We can now maybe get to that point. We view suffering as something redemptive. Guys, we are not, we are not afforded the opportunity to view the subject as something different than what Scripture views it. We're not afforded that opportunity. And I know there are many teachings out there that will say anything that's, anything that's painful is not from God, is a demonic attack, or it's not your best life now, or, or whatever. I, I, I hear that a lot. But with the understanding that we are un, united with Christ in every way, we must view this inevitable suffering. Excuse me, evitable suffering as God views it. And that is a means to sanctify us, to make us more like His Son. You know, I guess, what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's benefit in your suffering. Oddly enough, there's benefit in your suffering. Hudson Taylor understood the great doctrine of union with Christ when he suffered. Suffering teaches us humility and patience. We all suffer, as the text says tonight, only for a little while in comparison to eternity. But when we're going through that pain, it feels like forever, does it not? It feels like we're going through it and it's never going to end. And through those times, that's when we're brought to our knees. We're brought to our knees and we have to humble ourselves before our Maker. And those other options that we've always depended on, they just don't seem to work anymore and... And then we have to be patient for deliverance from the Lord. That's a good thing. Another benefit is that suffering is used by God to discipline us. And that's a good thing. Hebrew, um, Hebrews 12, 1-11 speaks clearly on the discipline from the Lord. The writer teaches us not to regard lightly the, the discipline from the Lord. The Lord disciplined those that He loves. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. We are disciplined to be able to share in His holiness. A means that God uses to discipline us is suffering. That's what the saints of faith went through in Hebrews chapter 11. And the suffering used to discipline us is such a great reminder of our sonship. And understanding sonship, that we are children of the living God, is so beneficial for our souls. And guys, lastly, and not to belabor the point... 
Suffering refines us. Suffering refines us. Once again, verses 6 and 7 of our text speaks on this. In this, talking about the salvation in the, in the first part of the chapter, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, it's temporary, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, your suffering, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering is used to put our faith through the fire. And I like how Peter uses gold as an illustration because we know how valuable gold is. We, we, under, we understand the value of, of gold around here. And if you know anything about gold, you know that it's placed in a hot fire or something really hot to burn out all the impurities and make this gold really worth something. But here's another thing about gold, and I, I promise I'm not trying to patronize anybody, but here, here's the thing about gold. It's not eternal. Uh, James talks about gold that corrodes. It just won't last forever. Gold won't, and you know that. And that's why Peter talks about our faith being more precious than gold. Because it will last. Because Christ is holding it. It will last, and it is more precious than gold. Therefore, if gold is refined by physical fire, doesn't it make sense that something infinitely more valuable like our faith is going to be refined as well, maybe through uh, fiery trials? Doesn't that make sense? Absolutely it does. One of the main purposes of our suffering is to verify our faith and, and to wrap this up. Isn't that what we need? In a world where the routine is the constant contact of suffering, don't we need a genuine faith in something? Faith in something that offers hope during the many sufferings that you're going through right now? Faith in something that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? That something, that something is the good news offered to those suffering souls in the first century who were being persecuted by Nero. That good news of Jesus Christ. That same good news is offered to us tonight. Not some seven-step program that most people like to hear. Not some pragmatic, do this and don't do that, and all your pains will be taken away. Let's learn the secret so that we can just think our way through this thing. It's not some seven-step program. It's the good news of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. So as you live life, remember this good news. And as Peter writes once again, and please concentrate on it as I will as well, in verses 6 and 7. In this good news you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that, is, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May Jesus Christ be revealed to you through your many inevitable yet redemptive sufferings. Let's pray to that end. Father, we 
it feels kind of odd to say, but we want to thank you for whatever you're putting us through. We want to thank you, Lord, for your will being done in our life, no matter if it's painful, whether it's a season of joy, whatever the season of life we're going through, we want to thank you for it. And if it is suffering, thank you, Lord, that your scripture, your holy word has taught us how to deal with it by looking toward toward the Son and reflecting on our union with Him. Uh, Thank you for life. Thank you for breath. Thank you for everything that you've given us. You are the author and the creator of it, and we don't want to take it for granted. In Jesus' name, amen.